Thank you, ACC and Jane. That was fantastic. May God continue blessing you. That was beautiful. And we thank you, parents, for all the sacrifices you make to have this dear children in our school and being involved here at the church. We love the, the fact that we can share with them, teach them, be with them here at Sabbath school during adventure nights. And also, I'm praising the fact that the Keters are every so faithful, every week here with the adventurers and all the leaders and the parents that support this system. We're grateful for what you do. May God bless you in all that you do. And thank you for allowing us to be part of that, to work collaborative in the rearing of the children. As we've been meeting and gathering uh, every other week on Wednesdays with the adventurers, every year we choose a theme and an award that the children learn about. And this year, the award that they will be earning from me is the award on the parables. Last year we did the discipleship. This year is the parables. And as such, today, what I'll be sharing with you will be one of the parables. We've been learning about the parable of the sower and the mustard seed and the buried treasure and the pearl. We've been talking about many different types of parables. So today's message is focused on one of the lessons that Jesus taught his disciples and his followers. You know, last year when we were here, I don't know if you remember this, but when we were meeting here for Adventure Sabbath, we were having snow falling. So we missed that snow just a little bit ago. But last year, while we were doing Adventure Sabbath, that's when it was snowing. And we were all sort of holding on, trying to do what we could here. And then we had a fellowship lunch, and people had to go home, and the roads were a little bit, you know, <laughs> slippery, and some people were worried, but we did fine. And look at today, what a difference. And speaking of weather, I was thinking about the snowfall that we had not too long ago, our snowmageddon again, and how people were rushing to the grocery stores and preparing and to the stores. And I happened to go into Giant, and I was observing the people there. I just went to get just a few items. And I was going back to the cashier, I realized the amount of people that were there in front of the cashiers. And the lanes, each lane was open, and the lines going all the way back down the aisles. And I'm thinking, my goodness, am I missing something? Because it was just absolutely insane. And then I'm looking at the stuff that people are getting. I mean, this carts, and I'm not trying to judge, okay? Okay, I'm not trying to judge. But these carts were just filled with perishables. And I'm thinking, what if they lost power? What's going to happen to all that stuff? Now, I, I tend to be someone, my husband and I, we, we sort of stockpile. You know, we, we buy things in bulk, and then we just get what we need, the basic things from week to week. So as I'm going to Giant, I'm just picking up a few, a few things, a couple kinds of soup maybe, some milk, just some bread, just a few things. And I can't pay for it because there are gobs and gobs of people. I'm like, this is insane. And then 
not too long ago last week, we have just three-fourths of an inch of snow. I go back to Giant, and it's even worse. I was on the line with 12 items or less, and I'm not kidding you. I counted, there were almost about 20 people. And I say about because one person jumped ahead of me. And I was very kind, and I didn't say anything. But they did, they jumped ahead of me. So about 20 people in front of me, we were down the aisles. I'm thinking, this is so ridiculous. How is it that people just wait till the very, very last moment to get the things that they need? They've been warned. They've been told what's going to happen, right? And you would imagine that they perhaps may be prepared. They would have somewhat ready. Again, I'm not judging, just saying. It just seemed a little curious to me. Speaking of this, you know, as we look into this text in Matthew chapter 22, by the way, did did an excellent job, Lisa and Elliot. Thank you for reading it. You did excellent reading it. We're going to go into this text and see what Jesus was talking about. And one of the greatest lessons there is the preparation. So Matthew, Matthew 25 presents three parables. And Jesus delivered these parables to teach his followers about what was to come and the, in the light of the future certainty. These lessons were presented to the disciples immediately following the conflicts that Jesus had been having with the leaders of Israel. So Jesus begins by describing the scene of a wedding. He's seeing it, he's describing it. And I don't have to tell you that weddings certainly are big affairs and memorable events. Those of you who are married, I'm sure remember the day, the day that you got married as if it were yesterday the wedding of your children, and perhaps the wedding of your grandchildren. And those who are not married yet, I am sure you are dreaming of that day. Someday, and I know exactly how I want it to be. Most married couples agree that their wedding day is one of the main, most important events of their lives, along up there with the birth of their children. Certainly you would agree that an event such as a wedding is contingent upon excellent planning and well-executed plans. One wrong decision could be very costly and unfavorable. You have to set a budget, do the research, you gather information, you make decisions on locations, caterers, bakers, DJs if you choose to have them, make references, even hire an experienced planner if your budget allows it. They're all part of the crucial part of the realization of the couple's special day. Nothing can be left to chance, especially in realizing their dreams. So no matter how simple or extravagant a wedding celebration is intended to be, we could agree that the emotional significance of the event requires a certain amount of dedication and preparation to make it a lasting memorable occasion and you would not want to throw it all together at the last minute. And I don't think that it is a coincidence here that Jesus chooses to use the example of such a memorable occasion, the example of a wedding, to explain what the kingdom of heaven is like. So as you know, 
you, as you turn there to Matthew chapter 25, you understand that Jesus is teaching his disciples. And certainly in this instance, he describes one of the most meaningful, significant events, the wedding, the most significant event of a life, to teach them about what is to come and how to prepare. And you have some clues here, Matthew 24, verses 3 to 5, and 42 to 44. Watch therefore, for you do not know what, your hour, what hour your Lord is coming, but know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So let's look into this. Let's look at Matthew 25. Follow along. It is evening. Jesus has come to rest on the Mount of Olives, as often he does after long days of preaching, teaching, and being with the crowds. He is seated with his disciples, and they're talking and relaxing from the activities of the day. It is a cool night, and the wind hitting their faces is refreshing after a grueling day in the sun. The smoky aroma surrounding them, surrounding them signals a fire that is crackling and popping, and the disciples are sharing a simple supper of broiled fish and bread with their master. The disciples, mustering whatever strength they have left, are revisiting their days and pressing for more understanding on the stories they have heard. Master, please, tell us more about these stories. What do they all mean? As the sun is setting, the sky is shaded with hues of purples, pinks, oranges, blues, and grays. The panoramic view is on the eastern ridge of the mountain near Jerusalem, a beautiful setting for an evening of festivities. Not too far is a house brilliantly lit up, preparing for company. A crowd is gathering there around the home, excited and expectantly. A marriage procession is anticipated to appear. The crowd waits for the groom's procession to arrive. Near the bride's house are 10 young women, dressed in pure white linen robes, carrying with them a lamp and a flask of oil. They're anxiously awaiting the groom. They cannot contain their excitement. They talk and the pace and the laugh and the pace and the pace back and forth as they wait. Certainly, he should be arriving soon, but he's delayed hours after hours after hours they wait. Finally, they become drowsy and fall asleep. At midnight, someone calls loudly, the groom is coming, go to meet him. The young women awaken and prepare themselves to join the procession. They hear it. Could it be? Surely it is his voice. There, they hear it again. Yes, it is. It is him. He is coming. They see the procession from the distance. Ah, yes, a large group. 
they are walking and dancing with their torches brightly shining, and they're happy with music. The young women pick up their lamps and begin to trim them and add more oil. But five of them do not have sufficient oil for their lamps. What to do? They have no oil to light their lamps. They did not plan for the long delay from the groom. They thought certainly they would have enough. So they begged their wiser companions to share their oil with them. Please give us some of your oil. We were not prepared for the long delay of the groom. The wiser five with their trim lamps have already emptied their flasks. There's no more they can share. They tell the foolish five, we cannot help you. We already filled up our lamps and have no more. They send them to go where they sell to buy some oil for themselves. At midnight, on they go. Meanwhile, the groom arrives at the bride's house, and the five maidens who are ready have been excitedly waiting with the crowd, join the bridal procession, and continues on till they arrive to the groom's home. Everything is perfect. The bride and all the guests are in. The festivities begin. The door is shut. The foolish young woman finally make it back to the house, expecting to join the celebration, but they're not allowed to enter. They're denied on the basis that the groom does not know them. But Lord, they implore, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it unto the least of these, you did not do it to me. I don't know you. They are heartbroken, left in the dark, in the empty street, in the blackness of the night. This is one of a series of parables that Jesus tells his disciples, explaining the experience of the church that will be remaining before he comes to establish his kingdom. Jesus the king is challenging his people to remain faithfully obedient until his return and to use their gifts to minister to the needs of the fellow believers. You see, there are two types of people, two types of watchers waiting for the Lord. They're dressed in white and young maidens, pure, because they profess a pure faith, a living faith in God. And some are prepared and some are not. The lamps represent the word of God. Psalm 119.105 tells us, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. This word, God's word, is the guiding light for our lives. The oil represents the Holy Spirit. 
God reveals his spirit to those who are devoted, devoted to his service. Their mission is to share God's grace, God's love, God's word and compassion to everyone. In the parable, the wise young women had oil in their vessels that burned through the night of watching, shining out into the darkness, and they had more oil in their flasks, sufficient for the remainder of the night and until the groom arrived. The Holy Spirit allows us to shed light into the darkness of this world. The light becomes a transforming power in the life of the receiver. And the principle of God's word develops the character of God in his followers. The coming of the bridegroom happens at midnight, at the darkest hour. The coming of Christ, as anticipated, will come in the darkest hour of earth's history. Out of darkness, God's light will shine. At this time, a message from God is to be proclaimed, a message lighting in its influence and saving in its power. This light is the light of his glory and his goodness and mercy and truth. And this message is to reveal what the grace of God has done for each one of us. Those who await and are ready and prepared will be doing exactly what God has commissioned them to do, as Jesus commissioned his disciples to do. How do we know this? Well, as you continue reading on through the chapter, chapter 25, we understand in, this, in the following stories that it focuses on a variety of responsibilities entrusted by Christ to his disciples before his return. Verses 14 through 30 is the second parable. It focuses on a variety of abilities that are given to handle God's trust and variety of rewards for our faithful stewardship. The third story, verses 31 through 46, is not technically a parable, but it follows the same theme as chapter 24. So really, you need to read all these together. Here, time is not an issue. It is about what to do while you are waiting. Using your God-given gifts to his, for his purpose, Serving the people that God has put in your care. To go about doing the Lord's business, doing good, uplifting and comforting others, preaching the gospel, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, healing the brokenhearted, bringing deliverance to the captives, and giving sight to the blind and helping the oppressed. Christ said, you are the light of the world. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That's in Matthew 5, 14 and 16. So back to the text. Note that the young ladies all went to meet the groom at their appropriate place and all had lamps and vessels with oil. And for a time, nothing was different between them. This is a metaphor for a church living just before Christ's second coming. All having heard the message that Jesus Christ is coming, and they expect 
his soon coming, his soon appearing. A time of waiting occurs, a long time of waiting. Faith is tried time after time. And when the call is made, the bridegroom comes, go and meet him. Many are unready. Some are even apathetic and unmoved by the warnings, not oil in their vessels. They're voided of the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, many who claim to be familiar with the commands and promises of the Bible will not have their characters transformed because they will not be able to distinguish truth from error and will fail, will fall. In the parable, the foolish have a regard for the truth. They support it. They're attracted to those who believe the truth but they have not granted themselves to the Holy Spirit working. In other words, this class receives the word with readiness, but do not, do not apply its principles. Does this remind you of another parable? Parable of the sower. They're pleased with superficial work. However, they do not know God. They do not have his character, and they do not know how to trust in him, how to look and live in the faith of God. These foolish ones expect peace and safety and do not dream of danger. When they wake up, they realize what they're missing, and they beg others to supply for their deficiencies. Sadly, in spiritual things, not one person can make up for another's deficiencies. This is the reason the five wise young maidens are not able to share their oil. It is not transferable. Character is not transferable. One person cannot believe for another. No one can receive the Holy Spirit for another. And it is at times of emergencies that character is revealed. I'm sure that you have seen some people turn into completely different people at a time of an emergency. And in this case, only one class is prepared. The other one is not. No more can be supplied to them. Their time is up, is finished. I hope you realize that this is our story too. We represent the Ten Maidens. Claiming to be Christians, we have a call, we have a name, we have a lamp, we have a mission. But we, and we are seemingly waiting for Christ's appearing. But five, a representation, are not ready. Five will be surprised, dismayed, outside of the wedding celebration. At the time of his coming, many will say to Christ, We have eaten and drunk in your presence. You have taught in our streets. Lord, Lord, we have prophesied in your name. And in your name have cast out demons. And in your name have done many wonderful works. But the answer will come. I tell you, I don't know you. Depart from me. Why? 
because they have not entered into the fellowship that they need with Christ in their lives, and they do not know the language of heaven. How tragic. It is impossible to keep Christ apart from our lives here on earth and yet be ready for his companionship in heaven. This is our training ground. This is where we make preparation. This is where we need it to happen. It's not something that we could just go at it last minute. It takes time, time to develop and to grow. It simply doesn't work like the example of the foolish. There's a recurring theme here in the Bible about being watchful and being ready. We are reminded over and over again, this parable is not the only example. Christ warned the disciples numerous times and told them about the signs that they needed to watch for and the things they needed to do to prepare. He counseled them, prepare, be watchful, be ready, and tell others about it too. And Christ, Christ asked the same of us, to prepare, to be ready. And you may ask, so how do we do that? This here is where we learn to be. We have to be actively engaged in order to do it, and we do it together. The alert has been sent. He is coming. It is a sure thing. When will he come? We don't know, but that's not what we need to be concerned about. What matters is our ability to be mindful of the signs, preparing, working at it, and being ready for the day, and keeping to our mission while we wait, while our groom delays. Are we making those preparations? Are we filling our vessels to be, to be able to enter into this fellowship with our Savior? and go into the banqueting hall, the great wedding celebration with our Savior. We have been invited to this wedding. And surely, it is the most important event of our lives because it has eternal consequences. And when we finally celebrate the marriage supper with our Savior, we cannot be ready at the last minute. We cannot. Ready or not, he is coming. Ready or not, here comes the groom. Christ is the groom, and we, the church, are his bride. Yes, he is coming. And when the midnight cry is shouted, which class of watchers will we be? The wise or the foolish? We have time right now to make the appropriate changes or adjustments in our lives and to stock up on the things that we need to have. But our time is very short. I understand life is insanely hard here and challenging, and our world is absolutely crazy. We see the evidences of that. And there are times it seems that we are the cracked vessels and our oil is spilling out. But what you need to know is that God is our restorer, and he will restore us, and he will help us to be filled, filled with the oil that keeps us burning. It reminds me of the chorus. 
Give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning, burning, burning. Keep me burning till the break of day. Let us commit to doing all that we can to meet our groom and proclaim, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him, and he will save us. Amen.